On this episode of the Talent Cast, we have a tiny, tiny little existential crisis. We'll be right back. Or will we? Hello, and welcome to the Talent Cast. I'm your host, James Ellis. We're here to talk about employer branding and talent acquisition, talent recruitment marketing at some fairly deep levels. We're not here to pitch books. We're not here to pitch software. This is a 100% pitch-free zone. We're here to go back to first principles and really think through what it's going to take for you to be better at employer brand and talent acquisition, for you to win the war for talent. Yes, that's a bad metaphor. Yes, people shouldn't say it. Yes, it's also my Twitter handle, so I can't help you. This will not be your standard podcast. This will be a little goofy, a little weird, a little bit of me. Hopefully, you're going to learn something from it. If you like it, please tell people. Uh, if you like it a lot, review us on iTunes and Google Play. Otherwise, you can hear, learn more about us or talk to us directly on Twitter, again, at The War for Talent, or just go to our website, thetalentcast.com. So that having been said, here's the show. Hey, how you doing? James Ellis here. So, episode 50, um, yeah, I'm just as surprised as you are. Uh, <laughs> I can't believe we've gotten this far. I can't believe you're listening. Thank you, by the way, for that. I do appreciate that more than you know. Um, housekeeping, uh, blah, 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 webinar series. You shall, show notes is great. Uh, this week I got to do my web employer brand 101 with career arc. It went really, really well for a couple hundred people who, of you who showed up. We're doing employer brand 201 where we talk about how to communicate it, make it real. That'll be in a couple weeks again in the show notes. Anything else coming up I need to talk about? No, we're good. All right. Oh, uh, RecruitCon road trip. I'll be in San Francisco. I think that's November 29th. Come find me. Come see me. Otherwise, uh, yeah, so episode 50. This is, you know, it's one of those numbers where you're like, that's a big number. That's a real thing. He's not just messing around anymore. Not true. Totally messing around right now. Um, but it has some sense of significance, right? The half a century mark, so to speak. Uh, so I wanted to do something good this time, right? Um, <laughs> I may have set the bar a little high for myself, and those of you who follow my Twitter will know that up until very recently, I still had no idea what to talk about. So I went through my notes, uh, and what I, my, when I say my notes, I mean all my emails that have the subject line pod, uh, in which I say, in which I write myself notes, usually semi-coherently saying, hey, what if monkeys were blue you know it, it's stuff like that where you're like in the moment it probably made a lot more sense than it did a couple of days later when you're looking and going bird internet what is this i don't know uh and this one had came to me uh a while ago and it's kind of one of those second runners and as i thought about it i realized and when i say thought about it i mean this morning um i realized it meant something more it went somewhere so so follow along with me and i'm hoping i land in a good spot i hope you land in a good spot with me i think there's something here uh, but i want to walk through it mentally with you so first off let us agree together that work is complicated in fact work is so complicated it changes very 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 fast very fast all the time always changing um you know the joke might be to say that by the time you have a need for a set of skills in a person, by the time you write that job description, post that job description, bring in the interviewees through your recruiting process, whatever that looks like, and you start to pick someone, the need might have changed. What may have started off as someone who knew Excel has turned into someone who also really knows um, accounting or someone who knows data management or someone who knows automation of data or automation of process. 
They're all technically Excel skills, right? But it's a little bit more complicated than, say, a pivot table, um, which, by the way, I love resumes. People say, oh, yeah, I know Excel really well. And you say, what's a pivot table? And they look at you, and you're like, no, you don't know Excel very well at all. Anywho, that's a digression. In this podcast, are you kidding me? I know, right? Who would have expected that? Anywho, it changes too fast. And it's not just because we're fickle. It's not because we can't plan. It's simply that the world is changing way too fast for us to plan. You are effectively, if you think of your business's journey as a vacation, um, how do you know what to pack if you don't know where you're going? If you don't know if you're going to the sub-Saharan Africa or you don't know if you're going to Antarctica, you don't know if you're going to hang out in Iceland, whether if you hang out in Iceland, it's the summer or the winter. If you're hanging out in the city, if you're hanging out in the woods, if you're hanging out by the river, where are you going? And if you don't know where you're going, how in the world do you pack? Do you bring a, a, a sport coat? Do you bring sneakers? Do you bring hiking boots? Do you bring those really nice brogues? What do you bring? Do you bring warm weather? Do you bring cold weather stuff? Do you pack chargers? For what country will that charger work? All those questions. And those questions don't stop. Because as our companies, moving, our companies are moving forward in a given direction, and we know at any given time, some company like Amazon steps in and says, yeah, we bought a competitor, so your whole life went upside down. You're like, oh my goodness, we got to stop hiring X, and now we got to hire Y. And everything changes. And by the way, by the time you hire Y, you really needed Z. Did you plan accordingly? Um, and if you've got great HR business managers, and you've got great... Um, uh, staff planning and, and, and talent management, they can help you kind of predict some of that stuff, but I think it only goes so far. So what happens is what we all you do what we all do. Instead of saying, okay, I need a particular skill, you hire a person and you say, okay, I'm going to try and hire people, someone who has some experience, who knows how to change, who is adaptable, who brings a couple of skill sets, the one I think I need, as well as some I might need. In fact, if you're hiring someone from Excel and you hire someone who knows Excel and they bring a lot of data automation uh, skills with them, guess what? You are now in the data automation business, right? You know how to exploit and be opportunistic about the talent that walks through the door. Right? You're that smart. Of course you are. Of course you are. You listen to this podcast. You're just that smart and just that good looking. So you pick people with, well, let's call them multifunctional skill sets. And, and don't think of Swiss Army knives. I think of people with, you know, instead of saying, I, I have a Swiss Army knife and it's got a knife and a saw and a toothpick and they suck all of them. Instead, you say, I have a guy or a girl and he's got, he or she has a knife, a real knife and a good saw and a Toothpick and a pair of scissors, right? They're individual tools. They work really, really well. This person knows how to use all of them. It's not that muddly middle, I kind of sort of know how to use a lot of them. It's about they bring a lot of experience. They bring a lot of skills. And I think what we're finding is less specialization in a deep skill, and we're seeing people who have a lot of good specialization in a couple of skills, right? Someone who knows... Um, Again, Excel and a little bit about dentistry management, <laughs> to be completely random. Um, you know, people who, who have a lot of different things. They know how to be a, a professional speaker, and they also happen to know how to design posters. Those two skills are not connected, but because you have them together, something magical happens. You have this interconnection that normally you wouldn't get. Right? And, and being a good employer or a good boss, you become opportunistic about that. Now, if you talk about someone who has multifunctional skill sets who learn quickly, what picture pops in your head? More specifically, how old is that person? Is that person 18 or 22 
Or are they 28 and 30 and 35 and maybe even 40, 45, maybe even older? You all answer yourself. That's fine. I'm not listening. I can't hear you. That's not how podcasts work. Um, But the person is not 22. I don't know many 22-year-olds who have a lot of multifunctional skill sets. Why? They didn't have time to learn it. Even if they skipped college and went on uh, apprenticeships, that's two years right there. So they, they leave high school at 18. They take their apprenticeship. They learn a skill. They learn something in two years. Have they had, chance, had a lot of chance to learn a second one? Probably not. Even if they have a hobby, it's still not a deep multifunctional skill set. Maybe they learn quickly, but in the end, they've only got the one skill. And it may not be that deeply embedded. It may not be that um, deep. It may still be a kind of mediocre saw instead of a good saw, right? It may be still slightly better than the Swiss Army saw, but not a really good uh, crosscut saw or a uh, uh, back saw. What are the one thing with the, the ridge on the back, whatever. Anyway, I don't want to turn this into a shop class because that'd be a bad idea. So when you think about that person, you think of someone who's older. You're thinking of someone who is not entry level, right? Entry level, and, and, and we're assuming when we say entry level, we mean entry level to the workplace, not entry to your company. So for example, a company like Enterprise, famous for only hiring people at the bottom and entry level and elevating them up, growing them, you know, they uh, hire from within, I'm sorry, they promote from within. So they're only almost exclusively hiring at the bottom rung of the ladder. Your company might be different. They may hire fewer entry-level people and they're hiring more experienced people, right? So if the world is changing and we don't know how to pack for what's ahead of us, and so we pick things that are multi-purpose and multifunctional, and have enough experience to say and to show they know how to learn and pick up new skills quickly as the need arises, and we've defined that person as not entry-level, well, there's another piece to this puzzle. And that is, we live in a world of software, right? Go ahead and go find the article that says software is eating the world. It's true. I think it's a valid point that in the end, all the processes that we make can eventually be softwareitized, meaning a bot or a spider or just a macro in an Excel sheet can do that job for us. We've all heard those stories, whether true or not, of someone who gets a job programming or gets a job doing some basic rote skills builds the software package that does it for them, collects the paycheck, and does nothing all day. Some of us have that dream. (laughs) Some of us find that terrifying. But truly, software is designed to replace us, to take the tasks that can be automated off our plate. Now, many of you think that that means, oh good, that means we don't have to do some basic basic arithmetic, or we don't have to do some basic um, indexing, or... Uh, It can help us search for information better. But the truth is, software that's out there right now is doing a lot more higher level work. Uh, I have friends over at Narrative Science over here in Chicago who take Google Analytics data and based on your Google Analytics data, which by the way, automatically collected, they connect with an API, they pull the data and using natural language processing, I'm sorry, natural language generation, turn those numbers into an article. Uh, an, uh, an update, a brief that sounds like it was written by a person. The skills that used to be, okay, well, a person, only a person knows how to speak and write our language is no longer true. We can actually create words and sentences that make perfect sense and are good at identifying, hey, this is something you should notice. It looks at your analytics and says, hey, in this last week, for some reason on Tuesday, you had a huge traffic spike. 
Now it doesn't know what the answer is, why, but it can identify, hey, you had a huge traffic spike, you should go figure out why. You should go be aware of it. Maybe you had a big sale or something. Now it doesn't know that stuff, but it's gonna point it out. And that's a lot better getting that in your inbox every week than having to go to your Google Analytics and clicking around until something pops up and says, hey, this is interesting. That's the world we're living in right now. Uh, to some extent, most of the box scores and most of the um, financial reports that you see in newspapers are written by software. Software is doing a lot more stuff than just automating basic rote tasks. Um, it, it's really complicated. It's really taking over the world. Let's say instead of here, we're all in, in recruiting, let's say the, the task of an of a entry-level recruiter is to filter candidates who have basic skill sets. Now, of course, let's say you, you have an entry-level tech recruiter who doesn't really know the difference between Java and JavaScript, even though they're completely different things. You've asked them, hey, here's a stack of 1,000 resumes. Go find someone who knows Ruby on Rails, has been doing it for at least two years, and go have an entry uh, phoner with them to make sure they don't have two heads. Right? You can, you can teach anybody to do that. You know who, you can, who else you can teach? Software. And that's what we're starting to see. We're starting to see software that takes over that task of skimming the resume, identifying traits that you're looking for, filtering those out, collecting the contact information, setting up a phone call, except it's not a phone call, it's you, you, you do it on chat. Do it in a Facebook Messenger. Do it on Slack, whatever. And it asks a couple of questions. It reads the answers. If the answers make no sense on some level, it tosses that candidate out. If the answers make some basic sense, it hands that person to the next level recruiter who actually with a human eye looks at it and says, yeah, this person would be interesting to talk to. Or, yeah, no, this person's full of it. So you just eliminated the role of the entry level recruiter. What about sourcing? Couple of queries and you have some basic sourcing. And software is coming that actually does all that thinking for you. It looks at the job description, looks for keywords, and says, okay, I know what kind of queries will start to pull those people down for you to identify. And then we hand them to the other bot we talked about previously who interviews them to some extent and passes around the recruiter. Suddenly you could technically fire half your recruiters. The entry-level work is getting absorbed by software. Now, this isn't just in recruiting. Let's talk about Uber. Why? Because <laughs> they're hilarious. Um, Uber, by the way, investing big time in a magical thing called self-driving cars. I want you to think about that for a minute. Uber, the company that says and has spent a bajillion dollars advertising, hey, you have a car. Why don't you make a little extra money driving people around? Just said, hey, can we have your car? Don't worry, we'll be fine with it. The software will drive it around. Or we'll use our own cars. We don't need you anymore. Bye-bye, gig economy. The Uber is effectively trying to put its own clients out of business. Right? Its software is eating that world. You think you're in a warehouse and you're safe? Have you heard of a little company called Amazon? Amazon, who, yes, makes a bajillion dollars uh, selling you things and providing web services. By the way, highly recommend uh, Professor Galloway's The Four book. I'll put that in the show notes. Fantastic book. Terrifying, but fantastic. Amazon has robots that manage most of its warehousing. And by the way, what has made Amazon get massive in the last two years is not Amazon web services. It's not the video, even though my kid loves Tumbleleaf. And let's be fair, it's semi-adorable. What Amazon is making huge amounts of money on is saying, yeah, 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 
We have Prime membership, which means more people have a Prime membership than have a landline. <laughs> Insane, right? Uh, and which means we have access to customers, and those customers expect to be able to buy things in a moment's notice and expect to have it delivered in two days. Frankly, we even give them buttons so that when they press the button, the, the, the machine starts working so they get to do, get their uh, candy bars or their detergent or their diapers, boom, like that, without having to think of it. Oh, by the way, we invented Alexa, so all you have to do is say, Alexa, I want a bunch of diapers, and yeah, you're done. Thank goodness I don't have an Alexa in this house at the moment. <laughs> but what it's really making its money from is that it said, okay, now that we've got this infrastructure in place, and that doesn't even count the planes and owns, and it doesn't count the people who are delivering on Sundays, what makes them Amazon a boatload of money is they say, hey, I'm renting this infrastructure out. Hey, company who sells sweaters, if you give us stock of your sweaters and give us a small cut of the process, we will post your item on Amazon, you know, the world's largest shopping mall, Maybe second, depending on Alibaba, how, depending on how you measure that. And we'll manage this process for you. We'll take your inventory. We'll manage your inventory. We'll sell your inventory. We'll deliver it. We'll take your returns. We'll do the whole ball of wax, and we'll take a small cut. All you have to do is make the things. And then, of course, you go back, and you talk to your manufacturer, and you say, just drop ship that stuff straight to Amazon. I'm going to sit and manage a massive business for my house because somebody builds it, somebody else sells it, and I just collect the paycheck. This is where Amazon's coming from. And by the way, that infrastructure is the reason why when you go searching for certain products, a slew of Chinese and Japanese companies are showing up. I'm, I'm literally buying seamless socks for my daughter this week because she's got that thing where she hates that there's a seam on her toes. I don't get it. I have no problems with seams, but she hates seams on socks. So we go searching for seamless socks. And there are brands I have never heard of, and they're all Japanese or Chinese. And what they've done is the Chinese and the Japanese have tapped into Amazon to say, yeah, yeah, we're making it over here. We're going to let you ship it there. And they're completely letting – these Chinese and Japanese companies are letting Amazon do all the work. They're going to ship it, send it to Amazon, and Amazon does the rest. Why build a store? Why build a brand? Amazon. Hey, uh, just interrupting myself for just a second just to remind you that – because this podcast has made me extraordinarily wealthy, there's really nothing you can do. You don't have to buy anything. You don't have to make any commercials or anything. You do not have to donate anything at all to keep this podcast going. Again, wealthy beyond my wildest dreams. Thank you all. I appreciate it. All you can do to help me make this podcast even better somehow is to review us on iTunes and Google Play and other places that you review and share podcast information. That's all you got to do. Leave some stars, leave a review, whatever you got to do. We really appreciate it. It's what keeps us going. Thanks to the people who have done it already, but keep them coming. We really do, like I said, we really do appreciate that. That's all I had to say. Again, I want to stop interrupting myself to bring you the amazing voices of me. Bye. So if that's the case and you own a warehouse, why in the heck are you employing people when you just let Amazon do all that work? You sell copper pipe? Great. Amazon. You sell, uh, I don't know, trash cans. You, you have the trash cans that are uh, injection molded plastic trash cans. Amazon. Why ship to container store? Why ship to Target? Amazon. They're going to take care of the, the shipping. They're going to take care of all that stuff. And by the way, all of Amazon's warehouses are robots dr robot driven. What happens when we don't need anybody to work a warehouse? 
These are jobs that almost anybody can do initially. These are great entry-level jobs. You get a paycheck. You get to learn about how a company works. You get to learn how a warehouse works. You understand basic logistics. You understand how to be diligent at your, at your work. And eventually someone says you're doing a great job. We're going to give you a promotion. Now you manage this shift of people. And that's how careers start, right? Why in the world would you spend money on people who are more expensive than the software? And then they won't add value for years, right? You hire an entry-level person and you have to train them for a week, for six weeks, for six months. How long before that entry-level person drives value for your company? The time is getting longer and longer. Why? Because the bots are doing the job of the, of the entry-level person. The way in which you and I, all of us, started our careers is we got some crappy job somewhere doing something. A job that, by the way, now is being done by a, software, by a piece of software or robot or, what, or you know, artificial intelligence or whatever. But that's how we started. We got the crappy job. We got pretty good at the crappy job. We got a better job and we learned something. And then we got a better job and we learned something, et cetera, et cetera. What happens to the workforce when there's no first crappy job? We all talk about what happens when software does all this work and we talk about it as if either one, we all get to sit at home wall E style and sit in our Barco loungers doing nothing all day while the software does the work for us. Or we say, that's fine, we don't want those crappy jobs because we don't, no one wants those crappy jobs. No one actually says, ah, you know what I want? I want a crappy job. No one says that. But they were a necessary evil to start a career. No one's first job is software developer level three. No one's. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care if you invented your own programming language. No one's first job is SDE3 or level 72 or whatever your number, depending on how your company breaks it all stuff down. The rankings, right? No one starts that way. You have to start with a crappy entry-level job where you do the rote work, where you do the grunt work. All of those tasks being taken over by software. So if this is the future of work because we are incentivized. Each company is now incentivized because software is cheaper than hiring a bunch of people to do the crap jobs. Software is much cheaper than that. Especially when other companies like Amazon and Google have bought the and built the infrastructure and paid for the infrastructure. You don't have to pay for the infrastructure. That was the massive fun stuff about Amazon Web Services. You no longer had to build a room full of com computer servers to launch an e-commerce company. You just tap in and lease some space on Amazon servers and it turns on more as you grow. Well, you don't have to spend any money to start. You, you have to pay for that service as you need it. Suddenly, you don't need a million dollars to start your own server farm just to start to get the first customer. You spend $100 to start the account at Amazon Web Services or the Microsoft version or the Google version or whatever. And if you get a second customer, you pay a little more. But that's okay because the customer paid you first. <laughs> it's the same thing. These companies now have the money to create the infrastructure so that you don't have to and they lease it out to you. And the same is true for software bots. Imagine that, a world where it's brains as a service. Not software as a service, but intelligence as a service. If the basic job is customer service where you say, hey, here's your first crappy job. What you do is you open the letter or you open the email, you scan it to see what's wrong, and you send them one of seven pieces of information based on the problem. Software does it for you. And by the way, the software is, the brain as a service will know how to read the, the email identify what the salient points are, 
pick which of the seven pieces of information need to be sent and then send it for them. You, you lease that stuff. You don't have to invent your own process. You lease it. There are hundreds of companies thrilled to lease you that stuff, sell you that stuff. So here we are on the precipice of a world where you don't need an entry-level job because you don't need one. You can't find one. They're, they don't exist to some extent. They're, I mean, this is the shift we're seeing. They're going away very quickly. I'm legitimately terrified as to how my daughter, who is now about to turn three, is going to find her first job. Actually, it won't be as bad for her because we'll get through this hurdle and figure out what the world looks like after this, and that's when she shows up, I hope. So what does all this mean? Well, I think, you've heard the story, uh, a guy goes to sell shoes and he goes to this foreign country, and in the joke, it's always Africa, which I think is a little racist, but whatever. You know, let's let's just call it country X. And the salesper the two salespeople go, and one salesperson goes back and goes, Ugh, there's no opportunity here. Nobody wears shoes. How are you gonna sell people who don't wear shoes shoes? And the second salesperson says, This is fantastic. No one else is selling them shoes. <laughs> you know, some some one salesman is successful, one salesman is not, right? I think you have to have that same mentality here. If we're moving to a world where all the entry-level jobs are going away, what do you do? Because what that means is, because yes, it can get worse, as entry-level skills go away, that means there's an increased demand on experience. And as there's an increased demand experience, that means there's inc increased price for experience, which means in reality, there's an increased scarcity of experience. And that's where we live, right? If I asked you how hard is it to find a developer these days and you roll your eyes and say it's brutal, that would be all of you. And it's not just developers. When you're looking for a good X, they're hard to find. Why? Because everybody needs a good X, whether it's an SEO manager or an account manager or a designer or a warehouse manager. They're all, if you're good at something, you should be able to find a job. The demand is high, relatively speaking. So if the demand is high, that means you can't count on finding them. So if you can't find them, you got to make them. Now we've talked about education as a focus to create talent rather than find talent. And I still buy that, and this connects to it sort of, but from a different angle. What I think you have to do is not just say, okay, because it would be crazy for me to tell you what you need to do is go grab a bunch of cheap entry-level kids who can't find jobs anywhere else and train them how to do a thing. Because what I'm saying is, they're going to be worthless for three years till they're good at something. And then hopefully your company is still around and solvent enough to need whatever skill you just trained them in. And that's, a, again, what are you packing for? What vacation are you packing for? Uh, that's, that's naive. And I'm not going to tell you that. I would not tell you that. I would, however, say you need to skate to where the puck is, right? You need to start modularizing your skills. Instead of saying, I need an SDE2 or SDE3, you need to be able to say, look, the job requires Ruby on Rails and Python and R to do this. What if you said, I need someone who knows R, I need someone who knows Python, and then I need someone who knows Ruby on Rails. Now, they're entry level, so they're much cheaper than the person who knows all three. And as you hire the person who knows Python, you train them on R or you train them on Ruby or whatever, and then show them as they're working how to use it to do robotics, how to use it to do bots, how to use it to do data management, how to use it to do machine learning, whatever it is. 
you find someone with the entry-level skill and move them from entry-level up a, up a row. Now, if you do that for someone with a four-year degree, they're 22, 23 years old, there's an expectation that having spent a bajillion dollars on the education system, by the way, I'm in North America, and that's how much an education seems to cost these days. I don't know what it's like in, in, in Europe, um, but our education costs have skyrocketed, and student loan companies are taking advantage of that, and it's brutal, and it's incredibly expensive to get a college degree, a four-year degree. And having spent all that money, you should rightly be expected to get a decent salary coming out the gate. If you're going to spend $100,000 to get a four-year degree in computer science to learn some old languages no one uses and one that someone does, you're going to need, you know, seventy, eighty, ninety thousand dollars $90,000 a year. However, if you hire someone who's 19, who did not go to college, who instead went to a boot camp to learn that language that everybody uses, are they as good as the person who went to a four-year degree? That's debatable. I don't necessarily think so. I think the education that comes with understanding bigger picture and understanding the history of computer science and the history of programming language and the old languages that you don't use, I think that has value. I think that creates context that simply going to learn Python and then knowing Python, and that's the only thing you know, provides. But if you hire the person who knows Python because they learned it at a boot camp or they learned it online at some online video academy, Udacity, Lydia, uh, Udemy, you know, there's a million of them, right? You can hire them for 40000 a year, half price. And let's be fair, they only paid a couple grand to take that boot camp. So they're not demanding seven, eighty, ninety thousand a year entry level because they don't have a $100,000 student loan debt you know, to pay off, to keep afloat, to keep uh, the, the loan collectors off their back. And having hired them cheaply, you still need to invest in growing them because just knowing that one skill isn't enough. You need to teach them that skill in your industry. You need to teach them, use that skill, and teach them the secondary skill that turns that first skill into power, into value. You need to change how you structure your jobs. For a long time, the jobs have effectively been the same, and we just bring in new talent. But as things shift, as the need for complex talent increases, you either have to spend twice as much per person or you break your jobs down a little bit, you invest in true talent development and education, and you have an opportunity to collect the value of entry level. I think truly the talent war is going to be won by the companies that restructure to hire and train staff who add value and grow them. People who have one piece of the puzzle and the company has the second piece of the puzzle. There's uh, my friend Philip Black, who I did a webinar with this week, and he said, this is, I stole it from his webinar, so I'm, I'm quoting him. He's from Omobono. Uh, he, say, he, say, he uses a term called time to productivity, meaning the time it takes from the moment you hire to the time that person is, creates positive value. You know, beyond the onboarding, beyond learning how the company works, figuring out what the printer is, uh, figure out the steps to make something happen. It can take anywhere for weeks to months for someone you hire, depending on their skill level, depending on their experience, depending on the level of the company, to become actually valuable. There's nothing more painful than hiring a third-level marketer, software developer, accountant, what have you, and leaving in three months. Because not only did you have no value coming in for three months, you paid them salary, on top of which you now have openings on both sides of that, in which no one was there, and you still needed that job to get done. Painful, 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 painful. 
That's why matching is so powerful and so important. But timed productivity, measuring the time it takes between hiring and create and adding value to the company. If you assume you can only hire four-year degree people and experienced people, that's a still a long period of time. If you break and modularize the skills and jobs, it's still a little bit long, but it's still it's it's roughly the same. If it if you hire someone who knows Python because of a an online class or a boot camp and it takes you two months to teach them enough rudimentary data science to become valuable at Python, that's two months. How long would it take for someone who knows Python and, and data science to learn your systems and learn your processes, to unlearn what they learned at two other companies before so they could learn what you know, or you start from a cleaner slate? It's effectively the same amount of time. This is the future of entry-level work. It's not about the workers. It's about us. It's about the employers. And we have to learn how to identify the ability to tap into this market. Otherwise, we will all be chasing the same five to ten year experienced developers, marketers, accountants, lawyers, what have you, killing each other for the chance to talk to them, paying them a king's ransom, and not getting any extra value out of it. The costs will go up, but the actual return will stay the same. And that's brutal, and that's painful. And that's what I fear is the future of work. It's entry level has to shift. The rest of it makes sense. The rest of it is going in where it's going. And you can talk about communication, you can talk about tools all you want, but I think the concept of once you have five years on the job training and experience, the career you have 10 years from now could look very much the same as it does today, as it did 10 years ago. It's entry level is the crux of where the change is going to be. So that was my 50th podcast. Hopefully that wasn't complete drivel. Uh, I have no idea if I made any sense at all or if I'm full of it because this is just kind of a weird idea. Um, so thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you for, so much for reviewing us on iTunes and, and Google Play. I do appreciate it. Uh, lots of stuff in the show notes this week, so take a listen. Thanks so much for 50 episodes. Uh, yeah, I think I'm going to do 50 more. I'm sure I'm going to have a better podcast next time. <laughs> Otherwise, I will see you next week. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great week. Bye-bye.